Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. It's National Espresso Day today. National Espresso Day. Espresso. Espresso. Some days you need it, right? Let's start the show. Ha! 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 <laughs> I don't know why you're saying ha, but I'm going to go, I'm going to roll in it. I don't know either. I don't know. Hey, Kat, it is a historical day here in Canada. As of 8 o'clock this morning, kids can book their COVID-19 vaccines. Got a lot of texts from people this morning who were up early. One woman was logged in at 10 to 8, messaged us at 5 to 8, five minutes before the portal opens, and she'd gotten in early. Her kid is booked for a shot at 9.30 on Friday. There you have it. 9.30 on Friday. A lot of kids are going to take the days off of school for this, I would imagine. I would think so, because they're going to use schools as vac sites, but they're not going to do it during school hours in Ontario. It's going to be weekends and after hours. Why wouldn't you just do it during school hours like you would a lot of other shots? I remember being shuffled to the gymnasium class by class to get you know your measles shot or whatever it was. Why don't they just do it that way here? Uh, there's a lot of parents who are weird about this. Well, they, not even weird. Think, oh, I know why. Because they think they're going to abduct, abduct their child who didn't get signed up and give them the shot anyway. That's why, right? Yeah, I don't know if that's the fear or, or what so. it is, but there's a lot of people that uh, just aren't comfortable with the... People that don't like the propaganda, the pro-vax propaganda, don't want their kids around it. Maybe it glamorizes mm-hmm. something that parents don't want their kids to do. Okay. It's hard to say. I mean, like we said yesterday, to each their own. The one that gets me is, I heard this on the news yesterday, and I, I feel bad for these people. The ones who heard the government is dropping the requirement to come back to Canada with a negative PCR test. If you've been out of the country less than three days, 72 hours, you don't have to bring a negative PCR test because, and it's well documented. I think everyone understands it's not accurate. You could have had that test three days ago. It doesn't mean you don't have COVID. It just means you had a test, but they didn't realize that that doesn't actually get dropped until the 30th of November. So they went across in the last couple of days and got jammed at the border for either a $6,000 fine or turned around to go and find a lab somewhere in Buffalo or in Windsor. It's not that I don't feel bad for them, but can I just ask, are these the same people that read headlines and not full articles? Yeah. Well, and I mean, in all fairness, though, the media is just as bad at hyping their own headlines. They don't go into a lot of detail either because a lot of them aren't smart. So they'll say, hey, Breaking news, government dropping the requirement for a PCR test if you're gone for less than 72 hours. That was the headline. A lot of people didn't necessarily click it and read the rest. They just took from it what they will. And I feel bad that they had jammed for that much money. Listen, if it's not necessary a week from today, it's not necessary now. There was never a need to do this. I mean, they're just costing people money unnecessarily. And all I can think of, is Black Friday, U.S. Thanksgiving. It is a four-day weekend for many in America, and there are Canadians that wanted to go down and do some shopping, Mm -hmm. maybe see a show or take in a game. Sure. Well, the government's just going to fuck you one more time before they drop that requirement. One more good rogering, and then they'll drop the test. Because it doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter. It's all about politics and saving face. And if they were to just say, yeah, you know what? We agree. It doesn't make any sense. And just drop it like they should have done. Then they probably would have taken some criticism and they don't want it. 
by keeping it until the 30th, at least they can save some face and say, we did the right thing to keep COVID out of Canada. Just drives me crazy, Kat. Uh, speaking of the holidays, though, uh, the Americans are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then we all celebrate Black Friday on Friday, and then it's Christmas, and a new Canadian poll, this is from Leger and the Association of Canadian Studies and the Canadian Press, finds that the public health rules, they're out the window this year. Yeah. We're not doing it anymore. Half of Ontarians say they fully intend to gather, to hug, to kiss, to handshake, and more mm-hmm. with family and friends. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, I look at my own my own example, my own. Although the truth is there is my my we like to get together in larger groups. And I'm talking about my extended family. And we usually do that every single year leading up to what what happened during COVID. And then we stopped and we did a Zoom thing. And it seems as though most people are less comfortable doing that. So we're not doing that. We're scrapping that this year. But, you know, in terms of my my family, my immediate family and everybody, there's no difference. There's no difference at all for us. And in fact, my neighbors already told us, hey, we're having a big party for everybody. I'll probably attend that cautiously and I will make sure to be properly distanced. That's for sure. And it's, but for me, it's less a COVID thing than it is just a realization of I did shit before COVID that could get me sick. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm not going to feel like I have to go shake that person's hand or hug that person. You know what? I'll stand back here. I'll give you a wave. That should be a signal. That should be enough to know. You know, let, let's just say hello that way. I'm good with that. Um, no fucking double dipping, please. Or uh, yeah, none <laughs> are, of that. Are shit. you going to be the chip cop? Uh, you know, none of that. Well, I'll just avoid it myself. I'll just, you know, avoid certain things myself. If there's like a, is there a bowl of nuts? You, this hand's not going in that bowl of nuts. Nope. Not that one anyway. So yeah, there's a, there's a few things that I'll probably change that kind of COVID definitely opened my eyes to it. Made me realize, okay, cat, you can be safer. You can be safer here. But aside from that, the gatherings for me, as long as I feel safe, I'm doing it. And I think most people will. The province that is most likely to ignore the public health guidance, that nonsense that we know is coming in a few weeks, are the people of Ontario. 37% of British Columbians say they intend to hug and kiss and handshake. 50% in Ontario. Now, in all fairness, they had over 1,000 cases yesterday in BC. And they got a lot of other shit going on with the, right. the storms and this atmospheric river whatever that is i know that that scares the shit out of me it's crazy anything atmospheric i got ptsd even the (laughs) even the east coast is getting shit on what 350 millimeters of rain in three days i don't like it scott i don't like it it's it's scary cat whatever's happening is not good uh but still with christmas dinner for a second here and i know it's a month away but i we had a good discussion about this this today on our fm radio show A woman is complaining on Mumsnet about the fact that she's got to go to her in-laws for Christmas dinner this year. And for the first time ever, her in-laws have asked everyone to chip in. And I don't mean potluck style, everybody brings something. I mean chip in cash. And inflation is crazy right now. If you've been to a grocery store lately, you know it. You see it. You know how much more the cost of living is in Canada right now. Inflation is Screwing everything up. Is it enough, though, that we could slap a, a temporary surcharge on Christmas dinner? Kind of like they do with when gas prices are high, the airlines will throw on that temporary temporary fee to offset the price. 
Is there any case to be made for this year doing that at Christmas dinner? Because that's what this woman's in-laws are doing. They want everyone to kick in some cash. And she thinks, that's bullshit. They invited us over. I'm not paying for dinner at their place. If I want to pay, I'll have dinner at my own house. Is there a compromise here, or is this a very black and white, whoever hosts picks up the bill, Cat, Yeah, see, for me... I- we, my family does a decent amount of potluck style because I feel like that's fair for everybody. And we've just kind of always done it that way. You know, we, we make sure we coordinate it so it's not silly. So someone's not bringing like a jello mold when nobody else is going to touch. We kind of have grown to know what people like. We know what we're serving. It always goes main course first, and that's usually the host. So if I'm hosting Christmas, I'm saying, guys, I'm making, you know, a turkey, ham, and blah bring a side that goes with that. That's a classy move, by the way, when you do turkey and ham. Just, you know, I'd like to think that's accurate, that you actually do that. No, and a vegetarian option, because my mom's a vegetarian. Fucking right, There's always going to be a vegetarian option. No, she hates the tofurkey, so it's anything but that, usually. But, so the, usually how it works is, host does main course, and then you have to follow suit. So it's usually the typical salad, rolls, um, some, sometimes a couple bottles of wine, or a dessert, fine, whatever. That works for us. I understand where where some families might be coming from, though, if they're going to host a large gathering. Like, I mean, if there's 40 people coming to your house and it's just going to be a gong show, I would not be upset by it. If, let's say, my in-laws decided to host a massive gathering and they were like, okay, we're just going to ask for like, you know, even 10 bucks each. Let's just, 10 bucks each is going to really help with this. No problem. You know what? It's weird to give money to family in that way. But in that case, I understand. I'll, I'll throw you, happily throw you 10 bucks ahead on in my family. We'll make sure that we get you comfortable so you're not spending stupid amounts. And it is dumb at the grocery stores. You're absolutely right. The cost of inflation is insane. But if I'm hosting, I'm probably doing it because I understand the cost to doing it. And, yeah. and I'm willing to foot that bill to have everybody here. And as the host, even if you do potluck style, you're doing more than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, okay, you're taking up my space. It's the cost of everything. I mean, yeah, you're, you're constantly handing out drinks and some people forgot their drinks and maybe someone didn't bring enough of a side or they forgot their side. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The hydro and the water, depending on how long you have people there for, you might be hosting and having someone overnight. There's always costs involved. It's but like when Christmas I, vacation. Who's sleeping in the RV in the driveway? Basically, but if I'm raising my hand and saying, I'm going to host this, I understand that that means I'm spending money. So don't offer or volunteer to host it. Now, maybe someone's been hit a little bit hard this year and it's awkward for them. You should never question it. You know, like if something happened and I, I was, it's the typical family gathering and then they said, well, I don't mind hosting, but do you mind this year pitching in? I'm not going to ask questions. Obviously, something's going on and you need a little bit of help. That's where, I would, that's where my mind would automatically go and that's fair. But I think pitching in in other ways makes more sense to me because the exchange of cash is so... There's that that's so not family to me. Like that's not loving. That's a give me the cash and you can have the food. Like I might as well go out to fucking eat at a restaurant. I don't want to exchange cash for a sit down meal with my family. This should be fair and even. Now, unfortunately for some families, it's not as even as mine might be. For example, there might be someone who hosts constantly and is breaking their back and, and has asked anyone else if they'd be willing to host and they all turn them down. We all know those people who just for some fucking reason will never let people in their house, even though, you know, you could probably have us there all easily, but okay, I'll host again and again. And then on the opposite end of that, there's people who will not 
accept anybody else to host but them because they want to have control. So there's always those little things in between. But the, to me, the exchange of money to sit down and eat at a house for family, I don't like the thought of that. I get where you're coming from. And and to be honest with you, the vast majority of people said the exact same thing when they texted into our show today. But uh, I'll give you an example. So this woman says that her in-laws are collecting money from everybody just to offset the cost. And she doesn't like it because she knows a lot of that's going to go to wine and champagne. And she can't even drink because she's got to drive the family. Right. And with more people coming this year, it's obviously going to cost a lot more money. And she says, I'd rather just be at home. And I do get that, and I do understand the sentiment of not wanting to exchange money amongst the family, and that's all well and good. And sure, there's the potluck option. A lot of people said that. Well, just do potluck. Just do potluck. Like I never fucking thought of that. Of course I thought of potluck. Now, me personally, not for me. Don't like it. Won't go to one. Uh, won't participate in one. I just don't like it. I'm either going to host or I'm going to come to your place and you're going to cook, but it's not going to be one of these... Uh, Aunt Betty is bringing her her famous scalloped potatoes and here comes Uncle Tom with his fucking lobster dip. I don't like that shit. Do people in your house just make, or your family, I mean, make shitty food? Is that why you're so against it? No, I just think that if there's a dinner, there's going to be a theme and it's going to be consistent and one person's going to carry this out. But I think about my mom, for example, who doesn't want any of it. Don't cook a thing. She will take care of dinner. And she's, she's older. And she's on a very fixed income at this point. And even though she's never asked for money, I realize that hosting a big dinner like that for 15 to 20 people, that's a lot of money for her. And she doesn't, she didn't ask. She wouldn't ask. I know that. And if I offered her money, she wouldn't take it. But I still feel like I should at least try and offset that for her somehow, because especially for the moms and grandparents that like to do that and have everybody at their home for Christmas, they're taking on a big cost, and it's a lot more this year than it was last year. Why don't you so, hire someone to help, come help clean or something after mom's all done? And see, that's probably the kind of shit I'm going to have to do, because I know she won't take money. Moms won't take money. If my kids one day wanted to give me cash to come have them have dinner at my house, like, get the, get fuck, the fuck out, out of here. here. No, I'm yeah. not doing that. No. Of course she's not going to take money from you. I, I totally agree with you, and, and I don't think most people would, but the suggestion there is that you should be open to it. And, and consider the massive cost that goes into hosting, Fair. particularly this year. And if an opportunity presents to offset the cost for the host, that is one of the options. Now, as far as this woman's concerned, is she just pissing and moaning about it on a mummy group website? Or is she actually going to follow through on it and say, no, you know what? I don't like that you want to charge me 20 bucks a head, so we're not coming. Fuck you. Is she actually going to make that the hill she wants to die on that, with her in-laws? You got it. And, and, and there's, there may be a history there. In this particular case, I'd love to dive, deep, dive deeper because you know for some people there's a history of something. And maybe it's to do with in-laws. Maybe it's to do with your own family. But it's quite possible that she's basically hit her brink. That she's like, this is it for me. This is the cherry on top of a shitty relationship we've had that you're asking us for cash. Maybe the truth is this particular mother-in-law is super frugal. Uh, and, and she's always been that way. And this is just like brand new out of nowhere. And she knows she has money. I mean, we don't really know the backstory, but I would love to know. A man in Walmart. Fuck. Every time we have to do an American Walmart story, it always goes the same way. Cat. Someone needs to get this man a computer for Christmas. <laughs> so he doesn't have to do this in public. <laughs> He's a 28 year old. He lives in Louisiana. His name is Alex. Alex was arrested on Friday after he was caught jerking off in the electronics section at Walmart 
while looking at porn on one of their screens. <laughs> he was, and I quote, this is right from the police report, hunched over a screen with his hands in his pants. Employees recognized him because last July he was caught shoplifting in the same store. He was already banned. He's a serial jacker-offer and stealer. <laughs> a cop caught him in the parking lot, and he claimed he was only just watching music videos. He eventually admitted he had been looking at porn. Even though there was security footage, he denied he was pleasuring himself, but suggested that if they swabbed his hands... <laughs> Nobody wants to swab your fucking nobody hands, wants dude. To, yeah. Nobody wants you to finish that sentence, guy. Go ahead. Well, this guy clearly thought about the legal ramifications here, and he didn't want to paint himself into a corner. So he says, even though there was security footage, he denied that he'd been pleasuring himself, but he suggested that if they swabbed his hands, they might find evidence of masturbation. But that was from a different pleasure session that he had had four hours earlier. And didn't wash his hands. <laughs> you pulled it twice in four hours? Why? Why? Hi, Kate. So let's back up here for one second. Yes. Not in front of him or he'll jerk off. But let's just <laughs> go back. Let's just go back. So I'm sorry. Did this guy. So you're saying this guy brought a USB with porn on it mm -hmm. into a Walmart? Yes. He doesn't have a phone, I assume. I assume not. Did somebody, like, fill this USB with porn for him? I like, believe he did. Okay. And he probably purchased said USB filled with porn, or maybe it was, like, a, a friends for friends, doing something good for friends kind of scenario. Like, here's a USB full of porn since you don't have a phone and can't just go on any website to look at porn. You have to plug it into a machine at Walmart. There is nothing sexy about Walmart. No. Nope. How can we have so many stories about people tugging it and, and women are just as guilty because I've, I've heard of a couple of women just giving themselves pleasure in a car or in a parking lot. There's nothing sexy about Walmart. I don't understand. I know it's a mental, I know it's a mental issue. I know that. But for fuck's sakes, find a private place. Right. This is ridiculous. You know what? I have some things I could, I could probably give this guy my old computer just so that he doesn't do this ever again. I'd be willing to do it. I say, here's my fucking computer. You got a pretty good collection on there? Don't. <laughs> you got a good spank bank on that <laughs> no, one? No, he, he has to plug in his own hardware, okay? Oh, you, I thought no, you were offering him no. like a porn-filled laptop. I will give him like a computer that's on its way out, okay? It's going to take about 50 minutes to boot up, so you're really going to have to sit around blue balls for a minute until that thing warms up. You can plug your shit in, do your thing in the privacy of your own fucking house, please. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Kansas City now. This is a messed up story. Even the police aren't 100% sure what went on here. A couple, they're in their mid-20s. They were driving through Kansas City on Saturday. And probably the last thing in the world that you would expect to run over on the highway is a bowling ball. Somebody tossed a bowling ball on the road and they hit it. That's hard. Scary, that's some scary shit. Yeah, totally. It did get lodged under the vehicle. The wife was driving. So she pulled over. Husband gets out of the car, starts trying to grab that bowling ball out from underneath. And it was wedged under there. Then out of fucking nowhere 
comes this guy who tried to steal her purse. So the thinking is that this guy tried to force them to pull over by tossing a bowling ball on the road, and then he jumped when he got the opportunity. Well, he didn't get her purse because the woman flipped out when a stranger came up on her and tried to steal her purse, so she floored it and took off. Oh, wait, let's back up a second here. Who do we now know was underneath the vehicle trying to remove the bowling ball? Yep. She ran over her husband no. who was underneath the vehicle. No, out of just sheer panic. Sheer panic. Somebody tried to jack her purse and she said, no way, not today, not on my watch. Oh, fuck. Squealed the tires, bailed and ran over her husband. She says she heard him yell out in pain. And that's when she realized what she'd done. So she did what any reasonable person would do. I've hurt somebody. I've got to go back and help. No, no. So she threw it in reverse and ran him over a second time. Okay, Suge Knight, you motherfucker. <laughs> Whoops, it was an accident. Luckily, the husband survived. He showed up to a hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries wow. and is expected to recover. The purse snatcher ran off empty-handed. Some guy walked into the police station later that day and tried to turn himself in. He admitted he was the one who threw the bowling ball onto the street in the first place, but they haven't got him to admit he was the guy who tried to steal the purse. So you're meaning to tell me that unless unless they solve this, because I don't believe this bullshit story, unless they properly solve this, the story will continue forever in history as randomly, randomly a bowling ball is thrown onto a street. Mm -hmm. Randomly, a purse snatcher happens to be near that location in order to snatch up this lady's purse or attempt to. Or just generally a shithead who saw opportunity knock. Randomly, a husband goes underneath the car to grab said bowling ball mm -hmm. when his wife hits the gas, runs him over not once, but twice. And we're expected to believe that all of that is just a weird fucking coincidence. Yeah. It's Kansas, right? Can you go back? It's Kansas. It's Kansas, everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't believe a fucking word of it. I don't believe not a word of it. I'm wondering if the wife's a little guilty. You think so? Check that fucking bowling ball for fingerprints. Is all I'm saying. You think she threw a bowling ball in front no, of her own car? I, I think she hired someone to. So that she could have the ultimate excuse to run over her husband. Yeah. Twice. I mean, it is. In a, one day. It is. A, she did it, didn't she? And Yes. There's something to be said for in a moment of sheer panic. You lose some of your senses of reality and what's what could happen. She forgot, I guess, in that moment that her husband went under the car to do that. It could happen, maybe, possibly. But I think they should just look into it is all I'm saying. Well, it's not impossible. You've probably, Kat, and, and you're not a man, technically. No, no. I... <laughs> You've probably heard that alcohol can hinder a man's performance in bed. This was this great misleading lie that yeah. scientists tried to tell people that, oh, it makes you worse in bed. Yeah, I call bullshit on that from my experiences as a woman. A lot of guys will tell you, no, it does exactly yeah. the opposite. And now there may be some evidence to support that. Experts say a drink raises your nitric oxide levels. 
which widens blood vessels and improves circulation to your dick. That's crucial for a solid performance. Okay. Moderate drinkers have an 18% lower risk of impotence. Moderate drinking is described as six beers or six glasses of wine a week. That's slightly less than one drink a day. They say if men drink more than that, it can hinder their performance in bed. And if they drink less than that, they may not be getting the full benefit of the alcohol and the higher nitric oxide levels that the alcohol produces. Basically, this is a story about whiskey dick. (laughs) Which is still funny. Whiskey dick. If you had to explain whiskey dick to a girlfriend who wasn't familiar with this concept, what would you tell her whiskey dick is? That for some people, if they drink too much, they can't get it up. Okay. That's basically my, that's my knowledge of it. There's a couple different variations of it. There's also some guys who once they have a lot of alcohol in their system, they can get it up just fine. It just takes them forever to finish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's a problem for some people. Some people think, hallelujah, this is fucking great. Other people, not so much, particularly the ones who didn't want it to last that long. So for what it's worth, guys... If you can hold yourself to moderate drinking status, up to six beers or six glasses of wine a week, they say you're right in the sweet spot for a a great erection and perfect sex. Hmm. Booze is the quicker dicker upper. (laughs) I'm, I'm starting to think that that dude at Walmart that was jerking it. He had a few too many to drink. You think He's, it's possible he might have had totally, a few drinks before totally that? Possible. He just whacked it off four hours before that and went into Walmart. Like, ah, session number two. It's got to happen. Surprised he finished that day. Yeah. That's a lot to contend with. 2022 is going to be a record year for weddings, they say, yeah. based on bookings now. 100%. It will be. It will be. Everybody who I talk to who is um, working in the wedding industry in general, between halls, and I've had a lot of experience with that, and between makeup artists and everything else, say they are already booked solid, it's particularly for Saturdays, but many, many days, all the way through to the very end of the year. There's going to be people getting married on a Tuesday morning next year. It's just going to be fucking crazy. <laughs> You're going to get what you get. Wedding anarchy, everybody. Because <laughs> at this point, I have to think that most of the best dates are gone. And I have to think that most of the best venues are gone. And that's just the people who are getting married here. So the wedding planners obviously would like to know what the plan is. And maybe they can convince people, well, maybe you don't need to get married at Langdon Hall, maybe you could get married in the Dominican Republic. Uh, How about uh, a destination wedding? Yeah, and by the way, they love that. They'll do 15 of those a day. You basically line up and wait your turn for that beautiful little setup they have by the beach. Oh, next couple's done. All right, everybody out. Move out, guys. Move over to this side, please. Enjoy your beautiful wedding dinner. It's being served in the, the Japanese steakhouse restaurant here on the resort. But you only get it for 44 minutes, and then you got to fucking go because there's another party coming in. You fucking eat that real quick, please. (laughs) They say the average person would prefer now to have a smaller wedding in 2022, and if all the stars align, they would definitely prefer a destination wedding. White Sandy Beach is the number one preferred destination for next year. 
45% said, that sounds just great to me. A tropical island, a place of worship, one of the seven wonders, and even a castle also made the list of where people would like to get married, but all-inclusive was number one. Here's the problem. Nobody wants to go to your destination wedding. $1,400 is the max amount that people on average are willing to spend to go to your destination wedding. And frankly, I don't know how you get a destination wedding for $1,400. I really don't know. Well, I... Or is it I Cuba, right? That was... That's the only explanation. They got to be getting married at like a two-star in Cuba. I couldn't even tell you what the average cost is now. Is there a chance that it's, it is cheaper post-COVID to do it? And the larger the group, the cheaper it is. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I haven't been to a destination wedding in many, many, many years now. Several years. So, and I don't even remember the price that I paid at that point, but uh, to me, that seems like it would be right around average for your, for your typical, and you're absolutely right, for your typical Mexico, Cuba, Dominican type of scenarios. Here's one of the things that bugs me about destination weddings is the last time I went to one, the couple gave us a price and, okay, call this travel agent to book the package if you're coming, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, all right, fine, yeah, yeah. But then I jumped on like redtag.ca or something like that and I searched for it and I thought, if I don't book with the wedding party, I'm going to save $300. Hmm. They were charging more because I was going for a wedding. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. You figured that it would be the opposite. In that case, they were busted. Did you tell the bride and groom, by the way? I did. Good. They said this was all done through their agent and they aren't hmm. sure why that rate was like that, but it was probably an inferior room and I wouldn't be with the group and... That's exactly it. With all those little things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I booked, You'll see them at the pool. You don't need to have a room right next to them. I actually kind of enjoyed, I went to a destination wedding about four or five years ago, and I actually enjoyed the fact that I did book separate. I did book separate. My husband and I were in and the villa on the other side. It only took like a, it was a five minute walk away and I was away. So if I didn't want to stay up for the late night shit that was happening there, I'd sneak, we'd sneak off and leave. And that was okay with me. I mean, if you really want to be in the center of the action and that you're willing to spend the money on it, great. That surprises me though. You figure the more that went, you're the one inviting them to this resort. What's in it for everybody? And I know at a certain point for the bride and groom, it's free, right? If they have a certain amount of people, it's free or very low cost for them. So that's probably all they care about. That's all they care about. I would think so. They want to do it as cheaply as possible too. And they've got money to spend. They've got a do the extra baggage to fit a wedding dress in a suitcase. And of course there's the dresses and all the other things. Only 59% are willing to attend a destination wedding period. So already four out of 10 are going to bail on this. The rest 59% would travel for an immediate family members wedding. 55% would go if it was their best friend. Okay, but that also means 45% wouldn't go to a destination wedding if even if it was their best friend getting married. Yeah. 39% say they're more likely to attend a destination wedding if it's a place that they would enjoy. Yeah. I, well, mean I don't that, really want to go to your wedding, but oh, fuck, it is in Costa Rica. I'm going. Yeah, see, I'm in that category because it all depends where your wedding is. 1400 bucks is the most people are willing to spend. So with that information in mind, 
Let's say you're getting married. You're going to do the destination wedding. You're, you're going to get married down in Punta Cana. It's going to be gorgeous. You and 15 other couples in one day. And the cost is 1600 bucks. Mm-hmm. Would you offset that at all? Is there anything to be said for the bride and groom just subsidizing this vacation so everybody stays at a reasonable price? Or is that backwards thinking everybody else should be paying so the bride and groom don't have to pay? Yeah, and I mean, for, for a lot of people, that is your gift, too. Attending the wedding is your gift. Most people in that scenario should be okay with not receiving a gift on top of the, the arrival of those guests to that destination that you picked. So in my mind, it would be like, okay, but it's also the cost of a, a wedding gift I would have got you had you have gotten married here. The difference, I mean. Not the total cost, but the difference. And you also get a trip. I would consider that. I, again, I think 1400 for me is, is low. I would spend more, but it has to be the right spot. Right. I've spent more than that for sure on destination weddings. I think when I go away, that's right around the sweet spot. If I can get it for around 1400 bucks a person, I'll do it. But I shop. I still, I'm not going to compromise on much. I just want to find the right deal sure. at the right time. They say, by the way, that couples prefer destination weddings this upcoming year for a number of reasons. Number one is the cost. Number two, more options for dates and locations. Number three It's easier to cut down the guest list. On average, people want 56 guests at their wedding. So that'd be the wedding party plus about 50 guests. I don't think I've ever been to a destination wedding even with 50 people. That's a lot to fly down to the Caribbean for a wedding, isn't it? I've definitely been to some with that many. Um, Mine had 50. Did it really? that That was Las Vegas. A little different. Uh, It's not hard to convince people to go to Vegas. it, It was not. I was shocked. I thought we'd have 20 people. Max, and there was 50 that came. So that dinner bill ended up being a lot bigger than we thought. <laughs> but it was fun. Uh, starting today, Ontario optometrists say they will resume eye exams for children and seniors and others entitled to coverage under OHIP. Hooray! Eye doctors stopped performing provincially insured eye exams on September the 1st in a dispute over fees, which they say the provincial government fails to cover nearly half the cost of the procedure. What's frustrating about this is, okay, so it wasn't covered before. And then it was covered for kids and seniors. They can go and get their annual eye exam and it's covered just like a trip to the doctor. And then they, the the optometrist withdrew the service as a job action. And the problem with that is anything that's listed as an OHIP covered service You can't pay for it. You're not allowed to pay for it. So even if you could afford it, kids and seniors haven't even been able to pay for it Mm -hmm. since September the 1st. And that's a major problem with our system. We need a fail. I get, oh, fuck, heaven forbid we go down that path of privatization. It's not really privatization, but at the end of the day, people need their services. And if the service provider is not offering the service under OHIP, then just fucking delist it and let people pay for it. But there's people who needed treatment that are perfectly capable of paying for it. They don't need OHIP to pay for it. Why on earth did we have to go from one extreme to the other where it's free or you can't even get it? And why is it taking two and a half months to figure this out? And the only reason it's figured out is because the optometrists themselves decided to do a nice thing and in good faith restore the service, hoping the government will give them closer 
to what they want. Yeah, this I, I agree with you. The system needs to change. It is so frustrating. And I have countless friends who've just been waiting to get their kids in. And for those who don't know, because maybe you don't frequent the eye doctor, maybe you've just been lucky in life and you're like 20 out of 20, no worries, nothing. The eye doctor is so important, especially for young children, but for anybody, and especially for seniors. I mean, yeah. these are the two groups that will be impacted the most. It's not just about, oh, so they have to go a little blurry vision for a couple months. That is not even close. You need to do so much more research because eye health can lead, can lead you into a whole bunch of other categories. An eye doctor can tell you whether or not you should go to a doctor for other reasons. That's how much they can tell by your eyes. So to me, it doesn't make sense that we're in that system. You know, I wanted to bring my my youngest to the eye doctor just in case. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind. And I can't believe I've had to wait this long. I'm lucky, though, because I know people whose kids have had headaches in school. They can't see they can't. They're having trouble reading the board. They're basically getting double vision and there's nothing their parents can do about it. And how frustrating is that? That it seems as though on the other end, they're just throwing their hands up in the air. And I'm not necessarily talking about the professionals in this scenario. I'm talking about the system. They're just like, well, system is what it is kind of thing. That's what it feels like to me. So they, I really hope that they work on fixing that so they are fairly compensated, so we can make sure that they're, the optometrists are fairly compensated and covered. That's important. Or like you said, just throw that shit right out the window and let's do a different kind of system because it doesn't work. You know, it's just, and, and I get it, there's some people who are just fiercely protective of this healthcare model that we've got here in Canada. For better or worse, they love it. And they think it's a dangerous road to go down if we start charging for OHIP covered services. This hasn't been covered by OHIP for that long. It should be a lot easier to pivot and say, okay, listen, uh, all the x-ray technicians are on strike and we can't charge you for an x-ray because of our current system. So nobody gets an x-ray. That's just all there is to it. No, we need to have some flexibility in the system and a government is going to be terrified to even bring it up because it'll be so politically unpopular. And I don't care who the government is. Governments need the ability to be able to make these changes. And occasionally, these changes are called for. I'm sorry, but it's goddamn ridiculous that for two and a half months, senior citizens and kids haven't even been able to get an eye exam. Why are you sorry about that? That's wrong. Period. The end. I'm not sorry about saying it's wrong. You shouldn't be. It is not right. Again, those are the most impacted, the groups that should. If anything, it should be the in-betweens that are impacted. Like, you know what? Fuck it. You're over the age of 20 and before the age of 60, you're impacted the most. No, we're talking about kids and seniors. Those, in my opinion, are the two groups who need it the most. Listen, it's not a huge change that needs to be made, but it really is time, you guys. We've seen what a house of cards our healthcare system is. We saw it during four waves of the pandemic and maybe a fifth one rolling in. We've seen how fragile it is. And now with the eye doctors, we need to be able to make some changes to our healthcare laws. And yeah, maybe there might be a scenario just like this where it's covered under OHIP, so they're not allowed to charge money. And the optometrists just plain aren't offering the service. And I don't blame the optometrists. I don't go to work for free. You don't go to work for free. Why the fuck should they? So, in a scenario like this, they should be able to very quickly either delist it from OHIP and allow people to at least have the option to pay for it if they really want to get it done, or we just change things around. Take out that provision right off the top. Yeah, if there's a strike, you can pay for it. Because there were certain people who... It was like you were barred from the optometrist, and that's wrong. 
I can't believe we did that to people for two and a half months. And if it wasn't for COVID, that would have been a pretty massive story. But it did get buried and good job to both the government for willing to sit down and hash this out and get them back at the table and to the optometrists themselves for for showing a little bit of good faith and going in to get this done. Finally, people will be able to see again. You see what I mean? I see what you mean. That a girl. <laughs> Is there anything else we got to cover here? I uh, think that's pretty good for today. Uh, okay, quickly here. I don't know why we're wasting even a fraction of a penny on this, but yesterday, uh, Larry Tenenbaum, the chairman of MLSE, and John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, took the FIFA delegation all over Toronto and showed them all the advantages to Toronto hosting the 2026 World Cup. And and they say it could ask, it could bring in $300 million. I find that questionable because the way it's going to work is with more teams in the tournament this year, 48 teams instead of 32, 80 games total, and North America is the host. So of the 80 games, 60 of them will be played across America. Mexico's going to get 10 games. That leaves 10 games Fine. for Canada. Yeah. 10 games for Canada. How much are we willing to spend to host 10 soccer games that probably aren't going to mean much? You're not going to get that big Italy versus France showdown or that Croatia versus uh, uh, Spain game. No, you're going to get like, I don't know, Zimbabwe versus Costa Rica. Are we really going to spend that much money? And I get that there's probably fans that would be excited to see that in person in Canada. But how much are we really willing to spend? They're going to take BMO Field from its current capacity. And if we get this, they're going to increase it to 44,000 capacity. Well, that's great for a soccer game. It's half of what they would have in Europe, but it's fine. 44,000 in Toronto is good. It's one event. What are we going to do with those extra 20-something thousand seats the rest of the time? Is TFC going to sell 44,000 tickets a game? Because I'm not optimistic. We're still not using BMO Field for concerts on a regular basis. The Argos sure as shit aren't going to do it. Why would we commit to this for 10 games? And by the way, those 10 would be across Canada. You're going to see some in Edmonton because they've got a big stadium in Commonwealth out there. You might see some in BC. You might see some at the the Big O in Montreal. What's Toronto going to get? Two games? Maybe three? Well... Don't forget, too, I think there's a little more to it than just hosting this. Because, yes, there's money to be made for those games whenever they, wherever they end up popping up. If it happens, there's money to be made. Also, it is a way to put your foot in the door and say, we are willing to do it. Because it's not just about this tournament. It's about having a good relationship with that organization here. FIFA. Yeah, exactly. So why would you not want to have a good relationship with FIFA? If you sat there and went, no, fuck that, I don't want it here. You don't think that they're going to notice that and pay attention to that? And also, yes, I do think it's going to generate a lot of money. And don't forget about the broadcasting rights, and that's going to create jobs. So I'm all for it. And I think that although it's going to seem like a big chunk of change when you look at 10 games, there's a lot more positive effects that it's going to have on us here in Canada than you might think just by thinking that way. I, I like it. I, th- I hope that we do it. And that's coming from someone who's not a massive soccer fan, by the way, who'll probably catch highlights here and there and be like, hey, that's cool, man. People across the world are watching that game that's happening at BMO Field, wherever it might be, the big O, wherever it is. That's great. But I think that it's I think that there's a lot more to it than just 10 games for this specific reason. FIFA will look at that and say, okay, good to fucking know that you're your team FIFA. That's great. So why don't we do this then? Because I'm not against spending money 
but I also think it needs to be a smart purchase. And uh, expanding BMO and, and building all these practice facilities for the teams that need to practice for their games here, and that's all infrastructure. And while I don't necessarily disagree with expanding the infrastructure, there has to be more to it. So if we're going to expand BMO Field to 44 or 48,000 seats, why don't we just go even bigger? Because I don't know what we're going to do with a 44,000-seat open-air soccer stadium in Toronto other than the World Cup. So why don't we just make that an NFL-sized stadium that could be used for football if we get an NFL team? It could be used for baseball. The Jays could finally get a new home. And it could be used for soccer or other big events when we do stuff like this. Then we can free up all kinds of real estate. We can finally tear down the dome, which has got to go because it's too old and shitty anyway. (laughs) There's a lot of different ways that we could do this without just arbitrarily adding seats that won't get sat in again very often at all. It's going to be an interesting debate. We won't know until the early part of 2022 who the host cities are. But in all likelihood, it's going to be Toronto. In all likelihood, they're going to go ahead and do this. And I'm still looking at some of the infrastructure we built for the Pan Am Games. We spent a lot of fucking money on that. And it's great that our indoor cycling team has a velodrome to go and practice in, but I don't see it getting used a whole lot outside of people that are into track cycling. Well, but it gets more people into it, which could lead to more things. I don't know. I think the opportunity is is what the, what should be highlighted here. Have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday, everybody. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow. The clothing brand Old Navy on Friday launched a virtual Santa boot camp to train mall Santas on how to deal with outrageous gift requests like gas. And get this, guys, uh, Tiffany's just revealed its most expensive diamond. It's called the Empire Diamond, and it costs about $30 million. So this holiday season, give your loved one the ultimate Christmas experience, getting robbed. (laughs) Meanwhile, all the $20 million diamonds are now part of Tiffany's cheap bastard collection. The FBI reportedly searched the site of a former landfill in New Jersey last month looking for the body of union leader Jimmy Hoffa. So far, no Hoffa. Three Jimmies, but no Hoffa. The After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal. Broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.